folks, how are we doing? Okay, so I'm going to pretend you guys couldn't hear me on the mic, and that's why that was such a lame response. <laughs> Merry Christmas, folks. How are you doing? Like, you guys do see, right? Today's sermon, you know what it's on? Joy, right? A little bit of noise, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of energy. Good to be back with you guys. What a week. Um, I got sick. Jake got sick. Apartment flooded. Um, it, was, it was a nice little fun week. So glad to be back with you guys. Um, before I jump into today's sermon, if everybody got a newsletter, everybody get one? Let me just point out a few important dates. It's the end of the year, which means we've got a million things going on. Uh, first thing is next Saturday, December 17th at 5 p.m., we have our annual Christmas party. Uh, it's open for everyone. It'll be here in the fellowship hall. We got a few big things happening. So one, members, we're going to ask you either bring a finger food or a dessert. Second, anybody who comes is welcome to participate in the ugly Christmas sweater contest, okay? So wear an ugly Christmas sweater if you want to be part of it. I would just caution you, if you wear any sweater, you'll probably be included in the competition, all right? I've seen before where people have won the ugly competition and they didn't realize they were participating, all right? So just wear a Christmas sweater and that'll be fun. Third thing is, besides all the games we'll be doing, we'll be doing White Elephant. So uh, if you want to participate in White Elephant, bring a gift. Uh, we've set the limit at no more than $20. Um, as we've known before, if you want to go buy something great, you want to bring something from home, great, whatever it is, just come and participate. But it'll be a great night for us to hang out, to have some fun, uh, and to celebrate uh, the season. Other thing I wanted to mention is our Christmas services. So ne uh, December 24th is Christmas Eve. That's a Saturday. We'll have candlelight service at 6 p.m. The following morning is Sunday or Christmas Day, which is a Sunday, so it hasn't been a while since we've had Christmas on a Sunday. We're only going to do one service. We're going to do one service at 11 a.m. There'll be no 9.30 Sunday school or Spanish service, just one service at 11 a.m. Give you some time to open presents, eat breakfast with the family, then bring them out to church and worship with us to remind everybody what the season's about. Then the following weekend is New Year's Eve, and I know all my good Christian people here they ain't going to be partying Christmas Eve night, right? <laughs> I'll be having fun Christmas Eve night. Have fun Christmas Eve or uh, New Year's Eve night, uh, but the following morning we'll just be on regular schedule. So Sunday school at 9.30, Spanish service 9.30, breakfast at 10, or what, 10.30, and then service at 11. So just keep all those dates in mind as we're moving into the new year. One last thing that's not in here. Uh, one of the things the ladies came up with an idea for this year is they're passing out dollars to the kids, the fake money, um, for good behavior, answering question right. And next Sunday during church, what they're going to do is they're going to be buying presents for you guys, their family. Uh, we have some different gifts that have been brought for them. What I'd ask is a couple things. One, if you have anything laying around your house that is in good condition but don't need anymore, bring it for that little shop so they can pick those things out. Second, if you were at that ladies' class and uh, this was one of your guys' ideas, Nicole wants to have just a quick huddle after church to get everybody on the same page, make sure we have everybody staffed up and that we're ready for next Saturday. So if you're part of that group, just hang out for about 15 minutes after service. Did you say that's going to be on Saturday or Sunday after church? It'll be Sunday during church. So during next Sunday's church, uh, that's when the kids will buy the things. There's a, a meeting today after service. All right? Everybody good? We got it all? All right, let's dig in. So, 
Advent season. Today is our, our, our candle of joy. And to be honest, this is one of my favorite topics about joy. Because to be honest, I think it's one of the things that we Christians are the worst at. Have you ever been to a church service where you're like, I don't know if any of those people were happy. <laughs> Have you ever been part of that? Have you ever been in a church where you're like, like, there was a lot of people there, and I'm sure they know the word, but my goodness, that was not fun. I remember um, I was dating a girl years ago. My wife knows this story, so it's fine for me to tell. And uh, she knew that I was a Baptist minister, and so one day we were talking, and she goes, can you dance? And I said, eh, not really good. I said, I do it, but not really good. And she goes, no, 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 I mean... Can you dance? And I'm like, like, are we gonna do a dance competition right now? Like, what is going on? What do you mean by can I dance? She's like, is it allowed? And I was like, oh no, no. If I start dancing, I'll just spontaneously combust. God will strike me dead because Baptists aren't allowed to dance. She had obviously seen Flash Dance or what's Footloose one too many times. And this picture is a Baptist church. There's no way this guy's allowed to dance. And what's funny is there's sometimes people who have this connotation that as Christians, you're not allowed to have fun. Now, I'll be honest. Is it easy to paint that picture sometimes? Yes. Yes. Ten commandments. What do they all start with? Do not. Do not. Hey, guys, let's have a lot of fun. Let me just get all the things you're not allowed to do out first. Doesn't normally happen that way, does it? Big parties don't start with a list of all the things you're not supposed to do. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of ways to live. There's a lot of points where God goes, hey, don't do this. But the reality is, God wants his people to be a people of joy. Amen. In fact, he wants them to be a people of such joy that it becomes the calling card of who they are. In fact, they have a joy so passionate, so strong, so amazing, that it makes other people go, what do you have? I'm confused. Amen. Anybody else in your seat would not be joyous, but you are. Explain that to me. And brothers and sisters, why joy is so important is, is it's one of those things that many people are searching for. Many people are searching for joy. So when they find people who have it, it's one of those things where they stop and go, please tell me more. And so I really want us to look at this today about what joy is, how we see it, and why we often miss it in our lives. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, verses 45 through 55, or 56, we get one of the best examples of joy. Now let me clarify something while you're flipping here. There is a difference between joy and happiness. I am not asking you guys to be fake. I am not asking you guys to walk around to this world oblivious to reality. It's okay sometimes to be sad. It's okay sometimes to be righteously indignant or angry. It's okay to not always be smiling. But there's a joy that you should be able to have in your heart, even in the midst of trial. Amen. So happiness is a temporary emotion, like anger, that comes due to circumstances. But joy, 
Joy is a way of life. And it should be constant in who we are, how we live, and what we do. Now in Luke chapter 1, verse 45, let me set the context. Mary has just been announced by the angel that she is going to have a baby and his name will be Jesus. Now a lot of times, you and I, we miss the social context of the magnitude of that message to Mary. Mary is somewhere between the ages of 13 to 16. Usual time frame for young girls to be married. She is not yet married, she is engaged. Back then how engagements worked is engagements worked like they are today. Today, you date someone for a long time, you decide that you love them, you decide to get engaged, and then you see how that goes, and then eventually you get married. Engagements in our world break up all the time, and they vary in length of time. Back then, that's not how it worked. Back then, most marriages were set up by the parents of the families. So what would happen is, is you would formally be betrothed, which was the commitment of marriage, and what the engagement period was, was a time for you to get to know each other. Hey, we've decided you two are going to get married. Before we make you live together and start a family together, why don't you guys spend the next year to get to know each other? And so in the midst of this period is where Mary finds out that she's going to be with child. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not an easy announcement. What she realizes by the fact that she is going to become pregnant is that socially, she is now going to lose everything potentially. One, she, people will not assume it's Joseph's, especially that the likely reaction is what? Joseph will divorce or leave her. In fact, Joseph, that's the kind option he has. The legalistic option he has is to what? Have her killed. Have her killed. So, best case scenario for her is she's left in disgrace with no family, viewed as this harlot, left by herself with no context, no safety net, no family to raise a child by herself in a society that will continually for the rest of her life mark her as a harlot or she gets killed this is what's just been announced to her can you imagine the magnitude and weight of that socially she has just committed suicide and not of her own choice but by God's choice now look at what happens she goes and she visits Elizabeth, her cousin, and in that she begins to sing a song. And I want you to listen to this song. In verse 45 it says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, from behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Do you hear in that song any anger? Do you hear any of that song resentment? Do you hear any fear? No, she realizes all those things we just talked about. But what do you hear in those words? Joy. Absolute, pure joy. Like seriously, I want to ask you this. When's the last time you were so joyous you just started singing? Like literally, when's that happened last time for you? I'm not talking figuratively. I'm not talking quietly in your heart. I'm talking about you just had such an awesome moment. You go, I'm singing a song. <laughs> Doesn't happen that often, does it? Unless you're watching a musical. Then it happens about every three minutes. That's the kind of joy she had. A joy so profound, so strong, she just starts singing. She just starts singing to God about how awesome, how wonderful, how amazing He is. And so there's a few things I want us to learn from her example of how do you have joy like that. The first is, joy is not about circumstances. Let me repeat that. Joy is not about circumstances. People base too much of their emotions on the circumstances of life. And do you know why that is so foolish? Because you have no control over the circumstances of your life. I think in our culture, the reason so many people desire to be rich and to be famous is not for the sake of being rich and to be famous, but because in our culture, money and fame give you power to control the world you live in. Think about it. If you're rich and you get sick, what can you afford? The very best doctors. If you're rich and you get in legal trouble, what can you afford? The very best lawyers. If you're rich and you're bored, what can you do? Find amazing experiences. Money gives you this open door to try new things and to put a wall around yourself that tries to protect you. And why do we want that? Because we want to try to control the world around us. Now, why do so many of our celebrities still deal with addiction? Because they have chased this lie that if I get fame and I get money, I will be happy. They've gotten there and they go, not happy. I have everything society told me to chase and I still feel empty. For them, that's unbelievably depressing. See, for a lot of us, we're just as foolish we're just over here on the spectrum going, man, if I could just get there, if I could just get there, if I could just get skinny, if I could just get that next promotion, if I could just pay off my debt, if I could just get that next job, if I could just whatever, man, then I'd be happy. Well, these folks, they're sitting there going, I'm here, not happy. I got everything you're chasing still empty. 
so what we have to learn as Christians is joys not take to the circumstances of your life. In fact, that's what makes our joy so contagious. What makes Christians different is, is they're joyous when the circumstances are down. And that's what makes everybody go, wait a minute. Dude, have you seen what's happened to you lately? Things are not going your way. Why are you happy? And you're able to go, why am I happy? Let me tell you why I'm happy. I know this guy named Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Please let me list all those things and then you tell me why I wouldn't be happy. So joy doesn't come from the circumstances of your life. Too many of you are on a roller coaster. You're on a roller coaster and the reason is, is you let your life be dictated by the circumstances of this world. Which means you're not mature yet. And what that means is Satan loves to play with you because you're easy to impact. I want you to be stupidly happy, I'll give you a raise. You're going to think life is perfect, you're going to think all your problems are solved, and you're going to run along ignoring everything else. Need to make you sad? I'm just going to break up some of your relationships. I'm just going to have work go a little bit bad. I'm going to throw some sickness your way. And you, you'll just go right down with it. What you want to be is a person that no matter the circumstances, you just keep moving forward to God. You're on an upward incline, closer and closer and closer to Him. Man, your enemies will hate that. Remember we talked about Paul a couple weeks ago? Paul's enemies literally don't know what to do with the guy. If we kill him, he gets to go to heaven and he's happy about that. If we throw him in jail and beat him, he's happy that he's suffering because his Savior suffered too. And he feels it brings him closer to him. And oh, by the way, while he's in jail, do you know what he does? He brings more people to Christ. If we don't persecute him, do you know what he does? He preaches in the street and he brings more people to Jesus. I literally feel the enemies of Paul had to have meetings like, what do we try next? Did we try this already? Yeah, that didn't work. What about that? Yeah, that one didn't work either. What do we do with this guy? His joy can't be killed. That's awesome. It's unbelievably empowering when your joy is no longer tied to these circumstances. Look at Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. Okay, again, I want to point a connection to joy. How do we measure it? It's a happiness of such extremeness that you're ready to do what? Sing. The reason I say this is I have met many an angry, upset, mean Christian who's like, oh, I have joy. It's just a real quiet one. It's real subdued down here. And I'm going, that's not joy. Joy is singing, baby. Joy is, I love my Lord. I love my life. I love where I am so much I can sing it. That's what we're looking for. If your joy is easily hidden or no one else sees it, you got a problem. Got a problem. That joy should be a hallmark of your life. Look at Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Always. 
Again, I will say, rejoice. Does it say, hey, rejoice in the Lord when things are going well? Rejoice in the Lord when you got money in the bank. Rejoice in the Lord when you're healthy. Rejoice in the Lord when your family structure is right. Rejoice in the Lord when everything is perfect. Hey, but you know what? You guys don't need to rejoice when you had a bad day. You know, forget Mondays. You just stop rejoicing on Mondays because we know how those go. Does it say that? It says when? Always. Always. Always, always, always rejoice. James 1-2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I love James because he just cuts right to it. Let me clarify for you guys who haven't understood what rejoice always means. Rejoice always means even in the midst of trials. Rejoice. Don't rejoice before the trial. Be sad during it and then rejoice after because you know I really learned a lot during that. No, even in the midst of the trial, as you're meeting it, do what? Rejoice. Always there's joy in your heart. Always. Now, there's a problem because part of you goes, that sounds great. Easy for you to say, preacher man. Easy for you to stand there and say, rejoice. Can I please explain to you the day I've had? The week I've had? The year I've had? The decade I've had? And then tell me to rejoice. Well, God goes, again, not tied to circumstances. Let me explain why you should be rejoicing. Joy comes directly from God. Joy doesn't come from your blessings. Joy doesn't come from this earth. Joy doesn't come from you. Joy comes from Him. So brothers and sisters, I hope after four years you start to realize all my sermons are basically the same. What all of them will basically tell you is the way to fix the problems you're facing is to get closer to the guy on the cross. To answer it at all. If you're not feeling joy in your heart, what I will challenge you is, that means your connection to Christ is not where it should be. And guess what? That's really hard for you guys to listen to. You know why? Because you're church people. See, church people confuse church activity with closeness to Christ. See, church people go, well, I go to Sunday school. I go to Bible study. I sing in the choir. I work in the kids' ministry. Have you seen my schedule? I do a mighty amount of Christian scheduled activities. Okay, because that doesn't matter. I know people who hate each other in their marriage and they live with each other. See each other for many, many hours. Around each other all the time. Doesn't mean the relationship's good. Many a person can spend time spinning their wheels but not actually getting to where they go. You ever want proof? You ever want proof? Go to the gym. Most people at the gym, are they in shape or out of shape? Out of shape. Most people at the gym are like, I'm here all the time. And you're like, really? Not to be rude, but I mean, what's happening? I work out all the time. And yeah, I don't think I look like the beach body guy. You can spin your wheels a lot, but never get to where you're going. 
Now don't get me wrong, I think Sunday school is fantastic. I think life groups are great. I think church is wonderful. I think being part of choir is great. If first you have a relationship with God. And the reason you're doing those things is to grow in the relationship with Him. If you're on some silly course where you think showing up gives you some like Bible points, but then God's up there with some like permanent marker going, hey, Matt showed up today. Two points for him. No, it doesn't work that way. Joy comes directly from your relationship and your connection to Him. It's where it comes from. Look at Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope... Do you catch that? He's not a God who gives God hope. He is the God of hope. May He fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. If you are connected to the God of hope, the God of peace, the God of joy, is it possible for you not to feel those things? Absolutely not. If that connection is strong, you will feel those things. God's clear about this. In fact, look at Romans 14.7. For the kingdom of God, which you are part of, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, what God has always said, guys, my kingdom is not about brick and mortar. My kingdom is not about you being in a pretty building. My kingdom is not about your wealth or political power. My kingdom is here. And what my kingdom is built of is peace, joy, and love. And anywhere where you see those things, that's my kingdom. Well, brothers and sisters, if you're in the kingdom and you're not experiencing these things, something's wrong. Either the kingdom's broken or you ain't actually there. I think a lot of us, we're looking at the kingdom, but we're not living in it. We've got to get right with that spirit. Let me talk about this one piece before I move there. Understand your enemy. I always get nervous talking about Satan because in my experiences, people don't have the proper balance. There are some Christians who act like Satan doesn't exist, but if he does, he's not really that big of a deal. There's other Christians on the complete other end of the spectrum who act like Satan is this equally powerful being to God. And what they love to do is blame Satan for everything in their lives. Why am I sick? Satan. Why did I make that bad decision? Satan. They're never accountable for anything because it's all about Satan. I think it's somewhere here in the middle. Like, let's get real. I don't want to stand toe-to-toe with Satan by myself. I'll lose. Amen. But guess what? When Satan stands toe-to-toe with my God, Amen. he doesn't have a chance. But that doesn't mean I don't have an enemy out there who's trying to lead me the wrong way. Now, what you have to understand about the enemy is this. He can't create anything. He's incapable of creation. All that he can do is pervert what God has created. So his entire focus in life is to try to drive your eyes away from the things that will make you see the Father. It's funny, um, Tyler and Jake, so i got a four-year-old and I've got a 17-month-old. 
they are now entering the realm where they play with the same toys. And where this is fun is, is it means they can play together. Where it's interesting and not so much fun is, I've now seen that what makes a toy attractive is not its existence, but how interested the other brother is in it. So we can have 50 superhero toys on the floor, and Tyler could care less about Spider-Man until Jake picks it up. Then all of a sudden it becomes, well, that's my favorite Spider-Man. I need that Spider-Man. When is he going to be done with that Spider-Man? Because I want that Spider-Man. If Jake drops Spider-Man and goes over to Captain America, Spider-Man doesn't matter anymore. And you know what? That's the same thing that you and I do. Every day you wake up, blessing number one. Every day you wake up in a country where you're not persecuted for your beliefs, blessing number two. Every day you wake up as part of God's family, blessing number three. Every day you wake up with the ability to talk to the creator of the universe, to pray to him and have him listen to you, to give you an opportunity to spread his gospel, his love, and his grace to people all around you. Amen. Every day you have thousands of blessings pouring around you. But you'll remember that you were five minutes late to work. You'll remember that you got overdrawn by 20 bucks in your bank account. Amen. See, what Satan loves to do is with all these blessings is pull you down to the negative. Pull you down so your vision isn't here, it's here. Amen. And he's good at it. He pulls you to the one thing you don't have, so you miss all the other things you do. That's how he sucks joy away. Guess what? I know some of you had rough years. But we can add up all the bad things that happened, and they don't even remotely compare to the blessings you've received this year. The only problem is, instead of you looking at this mountain, you're looking at this little anthill. And so your vision's turned here going, rough year, not a lot to be happy about. If you just turn around, you'd go, never mind. Never mind. I've shared this quote with you so many times I can't even remember it, but I love A.W. Tozer. God, if you didn't grant another one of my prayers, I'd have more things to praise you for for the eternity. You get that? If God never gave you another thing, if you never listened to another prayer, if he never made another thing happen for you, he would still have done more for you in your life to bless him from here to eternity. Wow. Why I love this is I, I so get now why God treats, uses the father-child example. I, I feel this time all the time with my kids. We give so much to our kids, yet they're still focused on like that one toy they don't have. They're still focused on that one thing that's missing. And you're laughing because it's like you look at their rooms and you're like, man, you guys got a ton of stuff. But man, I got to have that next toy. That's the key to my happiness. We're the exact same way. Exact same way. Now, I want you to listen to this last one because a lot of you don't buy into this. Joy is not optional for Christians. Listen to that again. Joy is not optional for Christians. If you're not joyous, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Joy has to be flowing through our hearts. Open up your Bibles to Galatians 5.22. 
Galatians 5.22. With Galatians 5.22, what God is giving you and I wisdom about is how do we discern that we are right with God, that we have the Spirit in us, and that we're working in it. It's funny, as a pastor, I get a lot of people asking me questions like, do you think so-and-so is a Christian? Let me tell you about their conversion experience. Let me tell you about when they got saved. Let me tell you about how they got baptized. Let me tell you about the things they're doing in their lives. Do you think they're a Christian pastor? And what I always tell people, it's not my job. I am in no place to determine who is a Christian and who is not. The one thing I will talk to is this. What I can tell people is God did give me signs to look for to see if the Spirit is producing in their lives. And so what I always tell all people is, is if we look at this list and you don't see these things in you, be worried. Because what God says is, look, if my Spirit is present, this fruit will appear. He doesn't tell you, hey, if my Spirit is present and... You work really hard, you pray really hard, you go to church a lot, these things will show up. He goes, no, if my spirit's present, the fruits of my spirit are these. So if you read this list and you go, oh, none of those describe me. You need to have some talk with your father. You need some time with dad to go, dad, let's talk about this. You tell me this is what comes. I don't see it. Help me. Help me get right to you. So Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If the Spirit's in you, these fruits should appear. Now listen to me. The fruits should appear. That gives you a large amount of room to look at that. Does anybody not have a green thumb? I don't have a green thumb. Okay, I have seen us try to grow stuff and you get the tiniest little fruits. That still counts. God's not promising you're going to have a bountiful harvest. Over time, you should get there. But to begin with, it just may be these little tiny fruits. But they're there. They're there. If you can't see them at all, brothers and sisters, you got problems. And the problem is not solved by being here. The problem is by being on your knees, looking up to Him, talking to Him, being with Him. Joy's got to be part of this thing. And you know why it's got to be part of this thing? It's what attracts people. Why do you never have to beg anybody to go to a football game? Like, imagine, if I gave you tickets on the 50-yard line to a Dallas Cowboys football game, how hard would it be for you to give those away? No, no, but like, how long would it take you to find someone who would be like, oh yeah, I'll do that? I think like within five minutes, you've got a line of people going, me, me, me. Now, go to those same people and invite them to church. How long is the line? 
Back in the like, well, how far is it? Oh, next Sunday. Next Sunday. Yeah, I got this thing next Sunday called Sleeping In. Um, the reason is, is because when you go to a football game, what do you have? A group full of people who are joyous. Unless you're a Browns fan, then there's no joy. But you have a group full of people who are joyous, excited to be there. Have you ever found yourself at a Spurs game when they're winning? And you find yourself excited even if you don't really care about the Spurs? When 50,000 people all go, yes! There's something in you that wants to go, yes! That should be happening. But when people walk into a church and it's like a library, it's like, eh, thanks man. Appreciate that. Maybe I'll see you again in a year. Call me on Christmas or Easter. There's got to be joy. There's got to be joy. It's got to be the hallmark of who you are. That's why Paul was so good at converting people. His prisoners, the prison guards are looking at him like, dude, we get this. Your life's terrible right now. We know that because we're paid to make your life terrible. But as soon as we're done beating you, you start singing songs. Why? Why? They didn't get it. And so he explained it to them. That joy is supposed to be the thing that just sucks them in. But if you don't have it, nobody's asking what's happening in your life. Look at John 16.22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Amen. This is Christ, and I want you to understand this. He's talking about before his death and resurrection. He says, yes, you guys are going to be sad in a little bit. But once I come back, I come with a joy they can't take. When I come back, I will give you a joy that no one can put their hands on. I will give you a joy that's untouchable. And what I love about this is this is what makes you feel invincible. This is what makes you feel... When you have treasure in your life that no one can take, man, you become a powerful person. Because what you realize, like, hey, yes, there's a bunch you can take, but what I really care about is right here. And you know who's got it? God. Good luck taking it from Him. Do whatever you want to those things, my most precious things, you can never touch. Man, that makes you a different person. It makes you live fearlessly. And you ever want to watch people do crazy cool stuff? Watch people who aren't afraid. You watch people who aren't afraid and they live life in a completely different way. Because they're not worried. They know they can't lose anything. Man, be those people. Be those people. Have a joy here that is connected to your Father who loves you, died for you, washed your sin away, rose you back up, and calls you now part of His family. Have a joy that remembers that no matter what happens to you in this 100 years you may have, What God has promised you, His children, is 300 trillion years from now, 
Amen. All you will know is perfect peace and joy. Do you even get that? Do you even get that? We complain about a hundred years here, and God goes, eternity. So, painful 120 years, and then guess what? From 121 to 500,000 million billion trillion ever, joy. He's trying to wake us up to that. That's why he says, rejoice, rejoice, always. Always. Wake up people, fall to your knees, and thank God for every single thing He's given you. Amen. Pray for what you're lacking, but always remember what He's given you. And I promise you, you do that, you truly put your eyes on it, all you can have is joy. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go into a time of prayer as a church. What I'm going to ask you to do what we're praying today is not to pray for things you're lacking. I'm going to ask you to take this time of prayer and pray thank you for everything you've been given. For just a few minutes, block out all those things that you normally sit there and go, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need Block those out and just say thank you. And start thanking Him for those things you've got. Father, as we come into this time of prayer, I just pray that your spirit of joy falls upon us. God, you've given us so much. It is literally impossible for us to list and name everything you've blessed us with. But Father, thank you for letting us be your children. Thank you for the fact that you listen to my voice. Thank you for washing me clean by the blood of your son, Jesus. Thank you for this family we have here at Harmony. Father, thank you for calling me yours. Father, you are a great and awesome God. I pray, Father, that as our church prays to you, that you will pull away those distractions and that they will pray to you, Lord, about those things that will build a fire of joy in their souls. Father, we love you. Amen.